it would have been nice to have my friend support my best friend in a time when I was at most in need. But you know what I want to point out to you is because I've learned this myself, but during this journey and during all this hardship, like especially when you were in that room by yourself in the fetal position, you were with your best friend because you were Mm. with yourself and Mm. you were learning to love yourself and you were learning to accept yourself and you were learning to work through these emotions in feelings, things that you used to need validation for, you were no longer needing outside validation. You were just having these like epiphanies and being truly putting like yourself as number one. And I think that's like beautiful and it's very Mm -hmm. difficult to do. But the fact that you did that, like you didn't really need him because you had yourself. You were choosing you. You're fat. You drink anyone. Maybe if you show a little bit of cleavage. Maybe you're acting too smart. You're a boss. I just don't understand why you don't have a boyfriend. I would marry you. You're a tequila boss. You're not a party. party. You're the Chargers. I'm not going to be a party. 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 I'm not going to be a All you catches, it's your favorite single gal, Erin, who transformed in front of your eyes, got reeled in in front of your ears, and had an Oprah aha moment that changed everything. Ladies, before we can reel in the catch of a lifetime, we must first bait the hook with self-love. Self-love is power bait. It helped me reel in what I believe to be a keeper. But even the best fisherwomen have to recognize when it's time to catch and release. You're tuned in to another episode of You're Such a Catch, a podcast dedicated to helping you realize the catch that you are. We do not have to be defined by our relationship status nor conform to societal norms. All we have to do is be ourselves. The You're Such a Catch community is open. If you're craving support, inspiration, friendship, come check it out. Tomorrow we'll be live on Zoom at 4.30 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. If this speaks to you, or maybe it makes you feel a little uncomfortable because you don't know anyone yet, that's your sign to give it a whirl. Anytime we step outside of our comfort zone, we're growing, we're changing, we're evolving. So poke around a little bit, join us for the live, and see if this community might just be the fit that you've been looking for. There's a link in the episode notes to apply. Last week, I talked about claiming financial freedom and a better relationship with money. What did you find out about your relationship with money? Did you expose any limiting beliefs or thoughts that might be keeping you in resistance from receiving abundance? Did you play the manifesting game with the universe? I'm keeping a tally of what you've manifested and shared with me. You guys, as a collective, we're over (laughs) $15,000. That's incredible. If your manifestation hasn't come to fruition yet, remember the law of attraction is a vibrational map to what you'd like to manifest. So don't get discouraged. You can always go back and lower the amount or even raise the amount into something that really excites you and try again. So remember, we're treating this like a game. It's meant to be fun, stress-free. Pay attention to those synchronicities and nudges from the universe that your money is on the way. This could be finding $20 in your pocket, receiving a check in the mail you weren't expecting. And when they come, please share. I love synchronicities. Ah, and I just want to celebrate with you. So, ugh, 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 ugh. <laughs> gives me all jazz. 
Today, I'm excited to introduce you to Leanna Joan, creator and host of the Hello and Goodbye podcast, a podcast about dating, sex, and vulnerability. We touch on all three during this episode. I was introduced to Leanna by my sweet friend, Aaron, not Aaron, but Aaron, and I knew instantly Leanna and I connected on a deeper level. You'll notice some parallels in our story when it comes to divorce and dating. Trigger warning, on this episode, Leanna and I discuss spiritual trauma, emotional abuse, suicide, and mental health. If you or someone you know is struggling with thoughts or threats of suicide, the phone number for the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline is 1-800-273-8255. I want to also provide a glimpse into my thought process when I invited Leanna to come on the show. I didn't anticipate her sharing her full story. I was going to invite you to listen to it on her show, episode 95, titled, This Is My Story. The reason I wasn't going to have her do this is because, as I'm sure you can relate in some capacity, when we share our stories, we have to relive them. And I didn't want Leanna to feel as if she had to relive this part of her life all over again when she just did it on her show a few weeks ago. But as our discussion started, which you'll hear, Leanna called out that we were being kind of cryptic, and from there, it flowed beautifully. And although I'd heard it before, there were things that hit with more impact that I still can't believe she had to live through. Leanna is a fighter, a beautiful soul, and I am so proud of her for claiming her story and speaking her truth, because her voice is helping so many. And being able to discuss the hard things is what helps us grow closer together. All right, before we dive in, please make sure you subscribe on whatever podcast player you tune in on. If you find this episode helpful, please share it on your Instagram or with a friend or someone who you know will benefit from the message. There's also a downloadable worksheet that corresponds with today's episode. It's a little different format from previous weeks, but if you want to follow along, take action and evoke change, click on the link in the episode notes to download and print the form. I just want to say that I just listened to your story on your podcast, Hello and Goodbye, which I love, by the way. And I love the cover art because you're gorgeous. And it's just, I don't know, every time it makes me smile when I see it on my phone. Is that silly? I'm like, oh, there oh she I is. Love that. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> but I just love that you were willing to be so vulnerable and to talk about these events from your past that are probably very difficult to articulate aloud and to also say in such a way where you're not allowing yourself to truly go back there and stay there in your past. So tell me about that. How did you come to this? I'm going to share my life like an open book. I'm going to share my story with everyone. Yeah. Well, it's definitely been a journey. Shout out to my co-host, Jared Rodriguez for, I mean, just being such an amazing friend to me and such an amazing advocate for me when I went through what I went through, which I don't know. I mean, I'm more than happy to share a little bit, but. Yeah, I think you're going to have to, and then people can go back and listen to your full episode, but you have to give a little little taste of it because it's, it's just so amazing. It's amazing that you're here with me today. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I basically just went through something really traumatic. And there were so I went through a divorce. I was married super young, was married for eight and a half years. The divorce was crazy with all of the different elements that were part of it. 
And for years I lived in shame. I mean, so much shame. And Jared just for years that advocated for me, why do you feel shame about this? Why do you feel shame about this? Like, there's no reason to, I want you, he, he encouraged me, like you should share your story. And part of the whole reason of starting my podcast was to share, but I didn't know what to the full extent. And it was more of like, I wanted to share all the funny stuff that had happened because there's been so many things that have been crazy that I've, I've gone through. And then Jared, who's like, I mean, I like deep. Don't get me wrong. Like, I like talking deep, but he's like deep, like wants <laughs> to talk deep all the time. So we're a good balance for each other because I want to like laugh. And he just encouraged me to just start to open up about who I am, where I came from, why I'm here, why I have this podcast. And I realized with all of the work that I've done in finding myself and who I am that I was really, I was so afraid to share it that I was really just like stifling my own voice. And I think Mm -hmm. I was not allowing myself to really blossom in the way that I've been wanting to blossom. And then I've just been in my own way. Yeah. So I couldn't have done it without Jared's support. And he so beautifully led kind of the, the telling of my story. And I think when I, when I record, and I don't know about you, but like when I record episodes, I don't, I try not to think about who's going to (laughs) listen. Like, I don't want (laughs) to think about my parents possibly listening or people I know that I don't want to listen. And, and so I just tried to be as real and raw as I could. Yeah. Some of the things that you shared, had you have shared already with like your close inner circle? So everybody kind of knew what was coming? Or were there some things that you decided to share that maybe you hadn't anticipated that might be new news to somebody? Yeah, I definitely like at the beginning of all of this, I used to just share like overshare. Like I would meet someone Mm -hmm. like a guy or like a friend and I would just blurt, like I would just vomit everything on them because I was looking for validation And I wanted someone to like understand me. And if they understood me and they gave me validation, then I would feel better about myself. And Mm -hmm. so as I've, I've grown in that, I don't as easily share. And I really want like people to earn that, like to earn that vulnerability. Of course, now I've shared it with the world. (laughs) 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 But, but like, if I, if I meet like a guy I would just be like, don't listen, like, don't listen to it, Mm -hmm. like get to know me first. And when you earn my trust, I'll share with you. But yeah, I have friends that called me and they're like, I had no idea what you went through. I had no idea what you're going through, what you deal with every day. And I just want you like the amount of like texts and messages and phone calls that I got was just so it was like overwhelming on one hand, but so beautiful and so encouraging on the other. Yeah, because I think when you choose to open up like that and you choose to share, just just because that, one, it probably felt good to say it and to know oh, yeah. that you've done all this work and, and like, wow, look at where I was. Look at where I am today. Look at where I'm going. But I also think like as a friend, like if I was in your friend circle and I didn't know that, I would also kind of, it would make me examine 
the space that I keep for you in Mm. our relationship. And it would just kind of make me approach things a little bit more like tenderly because I think sometimes too, and, and tell me if this happened to you during the pandemic, but before the pandemic, I had friends that I would meet up with and go out with Friday night, Saturday night. We were like what I would call good time girls. We would be each other's wing women and we would go out, we would have a laugh, we would have cocktails and it was great. And then we hit the pandemic and that was no longer a thing. And now it was living alone. I'm like, okay, I'm craving social interaction. So where are my good time girls? And none of my good time girls wanted to really talk about the things that we were going through, like the Mm. mental health aspect of like being home by yourself. And during that real deep stretch of like (laughs) quarantine. Mm -hmm. So I think it really put things in perspective for me being a friend to other people as well. Like how do I show up for them? And not everybody's going to want to share everything in a timely manner, or you got to do what feels good to you and you got to do it when it's right. But I can only imagine people thinking, oh man, I wish I would have maybe handled some things differently or been a little bit more encouraging or provided that space to you. Mm. I think that with like some of my friendships that have developed a little bit like later during this time and, and of me just kind of being like, okay, I don't have to like blurt out everything right away. I think I've just kind of guarded myself a little bit more and like just haven't been like some of the <laughs> your your audience is going to be like they're being so fucking cryptic right now. <laughs> <laughs> they're like what the fuck happened? <laughs> yeah, I mean we should dive into that a little bit more so everybody yeah. knows like Break it down for us just a little bit. Yeah. (laughs) Give us the Cliff Notes version. And then they can listen to it's episode 95 on your podcast. I do know that. Yes. Episode 95. So it's called This Is My Story. So yeah, I'll give a a brief outline. So I, I grew up as a pastor's daughter, super conservative Christian. I grew up through the purity culture of you weren't supposed to have sex before you got married. And I was a goody tissues, like teacher's pet, did everything I was supposed to do went off to a Christian college because I wanted to be around Christians and ended up meeting a Christian boy. And we ended up having sex. And I did love him. I really did. But he was my first boyfriend ever. And I had never dated. And I chased him to Virginia. We met in Mississippi. And I was just like, I think we should get married. That's the next step here. And he was like, okay. And then I was like, we have diamonds in my family. Let's make my engagement ring. And he was like, (laughs) okay. And then I was like, let's plan the wedding four months later. And he was like, okay. (laughs) And then I was like, let's move back to California. Thank God. Cause his, his parents were, they didn't like me. And honestly, like at that time I get it. Like they didn't want us to get married so young, but his dad was really like just a horrible person. So I couldn't wait to like get away from them. So anyway, so we moved back to California. I was 21 and we just became adults together. Like we Mm -hmm. finished, we were still in school. I finished school, then he finished school. Then we got jobs and I started teaching piano again. And then I was teaching dance because that's what I went to school for. And then he was working and then I encouraged him to go back to school because he wasn't happy with where he was, but he couldn't get a job elsewhere. 
And I had started teaching yoga at the time. And when I started teaching yoga, I started finding myself a little bit more and kind of realizing like, oh, I am a sexual person. <laughs> and our our sex life in our marriage was, well, first I had well, I was guilt-ridden and shamed mm-hmm. for years because we had had sex before we were married. And I thought that's why our marriage is such a struggle because our we struggled. It was never easy. And it was like, it's because we had sex before we got married. And, and then like when I started finding yoga and I really started like feeling myself and finding myself, he was just like, no, 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 no. Like go back to who you were when I first met you. And I started mm -hmm. kind of flying and really being confident in who I was. I started getting male attention. He had finished school, got a great job and, and everything in our relationship was me. (laughs) (laughs) Like I was basically his mom. I, Mm -hmm. he cooked, he cooked, but I did all the cleaning. I did the scheduling. I bought our house. Like I found the house. I bought it. I decorated it. I hosted all the parties. I did all of our finances. We struggled financially, the whole marriage. He had some, I had some control stuff around that and he had need for like being free. And so he would open credit cards behind my back. And there was like a $10,000 thing that showed up at our door one time. And so there was like lack of trust there. And I will own in the marriage, like I was controlling, I needed to control things. I mean, the reason I was mom is because I felt the need to get stuff done. And he just didn't like, he just was kind of innately lazy Mm -hmm. and he wanted to play video games all the time. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to go out with friends. Yeah. <laughs> like I can relate to that one. <laughs> yeah. And it wasn't just that. It was emotionally we could never connect on a deep level of like when we would fight, it would never be sitting there and understanding each other and hearing each other and like wanting to go deeper. It was always him stonewalling me and me getting angry. And then it feels like it was my fault because I was the one that got angry, but he's not talking to me and he's being passive aggressive and ignoring me. And it got, it just got to the point where I was just so unhappy. I wasn't in love. I told him that. And then we were in the church. Like I was on the worship team and we were hosting Bible studies. And cause that's what you're supposed to do as a good (laughs) Christian. You're supposed to be the good housewife and support your husband. And Mm -hmm. we started doing counseling and things got a little bit better, but he was always like, he just wasn't there. Like he just wasn't there. He was always one foot in one foot out, really didn't put an effort into it. I was always the one that initiated us doing anything. Like, let's try a devotional. Let's read a book together. Let's Mm -hmm. go on a little vacation which we never had money for. He never wanted to leave town or be around people. He had major social anxiety. So it just, it made it hard because I was such a social person and he had become such a homebody. And so things got a little better, but those last few months of our marriage was just to the point we were just fighting all the time. We weren't connected. We'd go to bed and I would beg him to, to not go to bed angry, to like work through it. And he would ignore me and just go to bed and I'd be sitting there crying all night. 
then I'd wake up and he'd be at my bedside and he'd be like, I'm so sorry. Like that won't happen again. And then like it happened again. And I just Mm. felt like I was walking on eggshells of something I would do would trigger it. And then he would ignore me. I just felt so emotionally disconnected. And it had just been so many years of that, that I just, my fuse was like really close to exploding. So I ended up getting some attention from a, a man or a guy and I had an emotional affair with him to which my ex-husband kind of saw and like sniffed it out and then confronted me about it. And I was like, yes, I feel horrible. But I was so numb at the time that that had happened that I was just done. Like Mm -hmm. usually with an affair, like the person who had the affair is like super, like, I want to fight for you. Like, don't like, I'm so sorry. Like this is never going to happen again or whatever. (laughs) And I was just like, I want out of this marriage. Like I couldn't, Mm -hmm. I was just so, I just didn't feel like myself. Like I just felt like this different person and I couldn't, I couldn't connect with anyone or anything. And when he found out about the emotional affair, he went to the church and the two male pastors showed up at our door like the next day and sabotaged me. And the three of them sat there and condemned me for the emotional affair. And we're basically like, we're taking you off the worship team. You guys need to figure stuff out. You need to go get counseling. We would prefer if you had counseling through our church. And I was like, fuck no. (laughs) Like, we're going to go to our counselor, you know, and who was a Christian, by the way, she was still a Christian counselor, but they didn't like it because she wasn't a part of their church. And at that point, I was just like, I don't know how to continue to be in this marriage. Like I want Mm. out, but I can't leave. Like I just, I couldn't leave without, I would lose everything. Like Mm -hmm. I would lose my friends at the church, the church support. I had no idea how my family would react. My dad with his conservative pastor background. So I stayed and we we had some really rough moments. I mean, he had felt so betrayed, rightfully so. And I was went into a deep depression. And I had in the past, during high school, I had struggled with an eating disorder and some cutting behavior. I was diagnosed with depression pretty early on. So I had been in medication for years. And that stuff started coming up. I started just restricting food and I just looking for places to feel like Mm -hmm. if I focus on this, if I cut myself, I'd feel something other than the feeling of numbness in my marriage and and in who I was and in this feeling of oppression of like who I wasn't allowed to be. And so I like knew that I needed an out and it wasn't hard to find someone else who was also a horrible person. And he was kind of like very overtly sexual and having such like a vanilla type marriage and like Christian upbringing, like he essentially like preyed on me in a sexual Mm. way and basically being like, well, it sounds like you're not happy and you need to be fucked, you know? (laughs) Sorry, I'm whispering because my mom just got home. He was just like, you need to like, leave and like it sounds like your sexual needs aren't being met and like 
I can do that for you, or you need to find someone else or something. And I just had this like push and pull of like this way of like escaping and like feeling something that I had never felt. And then also like me knowing that I couldn't leave and that I was this horrible person. And and that was what I was thinking the whole time is like, who does this? This is horrible. How could you possibly do this to someone who's your best friend that you've loved for years that you've stuck by for years? So during that time of the second affair, which hadn't turned physical yet, so it was kind of another like emotional, like weird sexual affair was very weird. My therapist was like, I think you should go see a psychiatrist. And she was like, I just, I feel like I'm not reaching you. I'm not touching you. Like, and nobody knew about this other guy, by the way, because at this point, like I knew how to do this thing. So I went to a psychiatrist and he um, basically was like, you have bipolar disorder. It was like the world had crashed. Like in my, like it was the straw that broke the camel's back. And Mm -hmm. a lot of symptoms of bipolar disorder is manic depressive. And when you're in a manic phase, you do things that aren't you. (laughs) And and. I don't know how to explain it, but obviously like I was in a manic stage at that time that this had happened that I didn't know till a few months later. Yeah. And in a lot of times manic of bipolar depression and or bipolar manic depression comes up through trauma. (laughs) Like it's, it's common to to hit in your late twenties and it's common to hit after trauma and, and oppression and just so what happened is, so after I got that diagnosis and I kind of brought that forth to my family, it was just kind of like nobody knew what to do with it. It was kind of like taboo. Like I didn't mm. want to tell anyone. I felt so like a crazy person. Like you have to be a crazy person to have bipolar, you know, bipolar disorder. So I went and had the physical affair with this, with this man just knowing, like, just being like, why the fuck not? Who fucking cares now? Mm -hmm. Like, this is it. I'm already fucked up. Like, I might Mm -hmm. as well just falls to the walls. And after that happened, then, I mean, I just was like, I cannot, like, do any of this anymore. Like, this isn't who I am. And I just felt so just, like, trapped. And I didn't know how to escape. And so I just like one, like two weeks after I had had the affair with that man, I sat down and I, I had called my mom and I said, I'm leaving my ex. And Mm -hmm. she was like very concerned, but she was there for me. And I sat down and I just said to him, like, I can't do this anymore. Like, you can't do this. Mm -hmm. And he immediately kind of went into like, he put like a huge guard up and was like, okay if that's what you want. And I'm sobbing and he's just probably just kind of in shock. But I also think he was wildly unhappy too. Yeah. And I think he just loved me so much or thought that he, Mm -hmm. I mean, he did love me, but I just don't think he really knew how to. And he just felt me like slipping away and he was like trying to pull me in. But instead of like trying to accept me for who I was, he was trying to, get me to be that person that I was when we first met. And so I just 
never, I just felt like he never, he didn't understand me by the end of the marriage. Like he didn't know who I was. And so after I said, I can't do this anymore, we went and we told my family. And then he asked me a couple of days later, did you have an affair? Of which I was like, I did. And then he was like, I forgive you, which is, it was oh, like wow. such a weird Off the bat, yeah, just, afternoon. Yeah. yeah. And then of course he, then there was all the backlash of that, of him telling my family what I did and him telling the church what had happened. And I can't remember, I was thinking about this today. I think maybe I sent an email first to the pastors of the church because I was very close with them. I mean, they were good friends to us. It wasn't just like they were our pastor, like we were close. And I think I sent an email saying, this is happening. I'm leaving my ex and there's no ifs, ands, or buts. Like this Mm -hmm. is happening. To which they replied, obviously, like this saddens us. We urge you to not abandon your husband or whatever. Then the following week after that was just, I like everything in my body was like, I'm a horrible person. I'm crazy. I have no control over anything in my life. Nobody likes me. Everybody hates me. Why should I live anymore? This part. I know you're going to make me cry. I know. I know. (laughs) Bye bye. (laughs) (laughs) There was no reason to. There was no reason to. I ended up like through the grace and intuitiveness of some friends of mine. Basically, I had like an intervention of several people reaching out to me being like, we think that you should go check yourself into the hospital. And I don't, I'm not going to go into detail because I, I know this is a touchy subject for a lot of people, but it was good that I did. And I basically went down there and my ex and my mom went down there with me. And the first, the psychiatrist that I saw asked me questions. And I just remember sitting there and I was just like, so numb. Like I couldn't, I wasn't feeling, I, I was out of, it was an out of body experience. And he, he was just like, I think she's fine. Like, I think she's fine. And then a woman walked in and she sat there with me and I think she was a nurse and she was kind of asking me questions. And I shared a detail with her that I hadn't shared with the other doctor. And she was like, we need to check her in. And so then that was a whole other trauma. I bet. Being checked into a psych ward, essentially. And just feeling like so cast out from society already. And then being put somewhere that ultimately fulfilled everything that I was feeling already about myself. And I remember like when you go in, you can't have anything with you. Like you yeah. get a pair of PJs and a toothbrush and like, that's kind of it. You don't have any belongings. You don't have anything of your own. And I just remember the first night I just sat there and just, or I laid there in just this fetal position and just bawled the whole night. And I just was like, like, how did I get here? Like, who am I? What is this? Like, what is there to like live for? And the whole experience in the hospital was very odd. And I just remember being like, I'm like, I don't need to be here. Like these people, 
I'm sane. I'm fine. No, I actually like made some friends and it, I don't know. It just, I just looked, it was just such an odd experience. And my ex did come visit me when I was there. And instead of just being there to support and being there for me, he demanded that I give him the passcodes to all of my stuff. Like he wanted to investigate or? Yeah, he wanted to look into all of my things and look into all my stuff. And I just sat there thinking like, no, like, no, that's like my stuff. And like, do you understand like where I am right now? And when I said no, he got up and stormed out. And then I called him to apologize. Mm. And then when I was released, he had blocked me and I could only reach him through email, which I understand like we all handle things differently. And this was something that he needed to do for himself. But looking back on it, I had been by his side for 10 years from the start of our relationship to the end of our marriage. And yeah, I did some things that were very, very hurtful, but I also was not sane. <laughs> like I was <laughs> right, so wildly yeah. sick. I was so wildly mm-hmm. sick. He abandoned me. Yeah. So it's interesting that you were so worried and concerned about abandoning him because you wanted to leave the marriage. But then in turn, he abandoned you essentially as you're kind of coming to and realizing this about yourself. So it's interesting how those tides turn. Yeah. And I think about this too. It's like, there was just so much emotional abuse in the marriage. And, and the only way that I was like, the only reason that I had come to that conclusion is because my therapist counseled both of us. Like, so she counseled us as a married couple. And then when everything happened, then I just went to see her by myself. And she said to me, she was, when I was ready to hear it, she was like, Leanna, he was really mean to you. Like she saw it in the sessions and it was an emotionally abusive marriage. I don't think that he is a bad person at all. And I don't think that he ever meant to inflict emotional abuse. And I think part of it was just our relationship and our chemistry together. And I hope he's married now. And I hope that he and his new wife like have a healthy relationship. But essentially I was just, oppressed and emotionally abandoned. But the church doesn't care about that. They care about that I was the one that cheated. Mm -hmm. And then nobody from the church visited me while I was in the hospital. Mm -hmm. And the only reason anybody came to talk to me, because I had like three really good girlfriends and they all came to talk to me individually. And the only reason any of them came to talk to me was to tell me to go back to him and to read the Bible. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. So just backing up a little bit. So I leave the hospital. My my husband had blocked me. I was emotionally alone. I had was still tangled up in this guy. And whoever believes the universe, God, whatever, like intervened and like things blew up and I was like kicked out essentially of that. Thank God, because he was horrible. <laughs> and and but then I I had another weekend where I was on watch. I had to have someone with me the whole weekend. And that was another traumatic experience of sleeping somewhere else and making sure that I was okay and just wanting my freedom. I just wanted to be free. And everywhere I went, I like, I couldn't be free. It was just suffocated, but I get it. Like, I understand like it was the right call. Right. 
so anyway, so then in the next weeks to follow, I mean, it was my, my ex-husband was just like, if you don't file for divorce, I will. And we just, he stopped. We weren't in communication. I saw him maybe two more times, one at the mediation for the divorce and the other, I, I went to where he was and I apologized and apologized. And I was like, I'm so sorry. I feel horrible. And there was no apology from him. Mm-hmm. Nothing. Mm-hmm. And so I just was like, okay. And I, I mean, I was still in a manic phase, not really knowing. I mean, I was on medication now, but it takes a while for that to sure. kick in. And there was a lot of like moving around of medications, like from what my psychiatrist had initially prescribed to like when I was in the hospital, they changed it on me and then I didn't like that. And so then we had to change it back. So it was like a few weeks more of like trying to figure it out. And I was just doing things that weren't healthy and I was drinking a lot. I was hanging out with guys and sleeping with them without really wanting to. And it was just, it was, we sold the house and I found an apartment and it was just so much loss, like all at once, including a loss of me. Like I lost me of who I was. And so I was, I was barely surviving. I mean, I, I was literally like every week in my therapist's office bawling or just, she saved my life. I wouldn't be here without her. She looked over me and she knew when I was in a bad place. And I mean, it was to the point where like I had written a suicide note and it was just so much ideations of like, this is when, this is how, like, I think this will be the best, best. And I just like every night I was just sobbing myself to sleep. Like the only way I could sleep was to play the same five songs. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm crazy. I can only sleep to the same five (laughs) songs. And so I was barely surviving and I got a letter in the mail. The church had not really reached out. I mean, they say on their end that they didn't reach out because I didn't want them to, but like, I didn't want them to because all they were trying to do was tell me to go back and to read my Bible and pray. <laughs> yeah. When you're suffering like that and you can't barely think straight, no, I don't want to do that. I also like reached out and he doesn't want me back. Like he doesn't want me. Like this was his decision now. Right. You tried. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And not that any of that matters. Like even if I hadn't tried, like who cares? Right. And so anyway, I got a letter in the mail <laughs> And it was crushing. I mean, it was crushing. It was three pages long. And if you have a Christian background, like you'll probably understand this. But in the Bible, it says when one of your people have fallen, that three people need to come forward to them individually and tell them of their sin. And if that person still doesn't come back, then they're cast out. So, and that's like, rephrasing like don't quote me on that sure. so long time yeah, yeah, since yeah. I've read yeah I, I don't want to read that scripture so <laughs> but um, you don't practice that to this day <laughs> yeah, I'm reading my bible every day especially like all of these scriptures <laughs> and approaching your your friends who are acting against it yeah yeah exactly yeah, calling them um, out mm-hmm. yeah right so in the letter they were like you have abandoned your husband 
And because you were approached by your these women and you have not listened, essentially, and this is paraphrasing three pages, but essentially we will treat you as a non-Christian if you don't come back. And we will tell the members of our church to treat you as a non-Christian and to only talk to you to bring you back to Christ and that they will send me back to the world and back to Satan. At the end of the letter, it's like, we do this out of love. Which is humorous in and of itself. We do this out of love. Yeah. And essentially that I was confused and just, they hope that I will come back. And they knew, like they knew that I had been in the hospital, that I had been diagnosed with bipolar and they still sent that letter. And I remember just sobbing and like I contacted my therapist right away. We had an emergency session. I reached out to my ex. I said, did you know about this? He said, no, I didn't. He contacted them and let them know, like, actually she did reach out. And I said, no, I never got an apology. Nobody ever reached out again. And essentially like at that time, like it could have killed me that letter Mm -hmm. because they were basically being like, well, since you aren't doing what we want you to do, like, good luck out there. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's like a public scrutiny of your actions in taking no sort of acknowledgement of what you were going through. Like, you, you were diagnosed with an illness on top of all of this, and you've been through a traumatic. Like, divorce is traumatic in and of itself. You throw an emotional trauma in the relationship. And also, you keep saying the word like abandonment, and it keeps hitting me like the way this all kind of began was you were starting to abandon yourself. Like you were learning mm-hmm. who you were. And in order to kind of like keep yourself in that situation, you were then going to have to abandon who you were becoming and who you were recognizing was like true to you, your true authentic self. And that wouldn't have been right either. So you were like in between a rock and a hard place trying to navigate at a young age with little support and this overarching influence that wasn't trying to get to the root cause of like where you were coming from, but was more trying to say, this is how we've always done things. This is how you will do things. And if you don't, adios. And that's just not humane. I know. It's wild. It's wild. It I is. mean, I don't feel like I've really fully like taken in how horrible this was until the last couple years. I still felt like it was my fault. All of this was my fault. Like this is Mm -hmm. on me and it wasn't, Yeah, you know, Mm -hmm. and it just took me so long to get there. I spent the next few months, like our divorce was finalized a couple months later and I had reached out to him. I like, I want to talk to you. Like, I just want you to see, like, I'm getting better and I want to see the dogs. And he was like, no. And, and he had gotten into relationship by then. So I, I think that was maybe part of it, but like, also like, he's so stubborn and like, I know he suppressed everything. Like, I just know he did. And I hope he's yeah. gone to therapy since and done some work, but he was obviously traumatized and in so much pain too. But he, I just wish, I don't know. I mean, everything worked out the way that it, it did, 
but mm-hmm. it would have been nice to have my friend support my best friend in a time when I was at most in need. But you know what I want to point out to you is because I've learned this myself, but during this journey and during all this hardship, like especially when you were in that room by yourself in the fetal position, you were with your best friend because you were Mm. with yourself and Mm. you were learning to love yourself and you were learning to accept yourself and you were learning to work through these emotions in feelings, things that you used to need validation for, you are no longer needing outside validation. You were just having these like epiphanies and being truly putting like yourself as number one. And I think that's like beautiful and it's very Mm -hmm. difficult to do. But the fact that you did that, like you didn't really need him because you had yourself, you were choosing you. I think ultimately like that was what needed to happen. You know, as painful and traumatic as it was, I still believe in God today, but I, or in in Jesus or the universe, whatever you believe in. But I think I understand him in such a different way that so much of the dogmatic Christianity doesn't even know. They don't even know. And they don't fucking care. No. Uh -uh. By sending that letter, they basically were like, here's a gun. Yeah. I remember like, I had shared with a friend of mine who was a a Christian woman and she read that letter and heard my story and was appalled. And she contacted them. This was a few months later and basically shame on you, like shame on you. And the pastor called me and basically was like, why are you telling people that we're not allowing you to come here? Like we never said that. There aren't even words to articulate. There aren't even words. I know. There was no apology. Mm. There was no recognition. I said, did you guys get my email explaining everything? You never apologized. Have you done any research on bipolar? And the, the comment that killed me was he was like, actually, yes, we've talked to a psychiatrist here in the church. And apparently with bipolar, you're still very lucid. <laughs> yeah. Oh I mean, just well, the ignorance. Just the ignorance. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He still never apologized and asked if he could pray for me at the end of the conversation. And I said, no. And he said, why? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. It's just so hard to even articulate like how you're on the other side of this now, because all of these things, I'm just thinking like, as you're coming out and figuring out, okay, how do I deal with bipolar? How do I deal with my new life? I'm now single. I'm now navigating in a different way. You're also learning more about yourself and trying to let go of these things that were innate that you learned growing up and stuff. You're trying to figure out who your real friends are, right? You're trying to figure out who you can rely on at this time. And then you have somebody who is just literally pushing you back down, trying to get you to fit inside of a little box. And it's like, no, no, mm-hmm. that I, I, I don't, I don't belong in that box anymore. It, so how did you then like transition? Because I feel like today you're in such a better place. You obviously attribute a lot of that to therapy and to doing like the inner work, but what did that look like? And have there been times where you're like, man, I just don't know if I can accept this as part of my story and live in the present because sometimes the past keeps creeping up on us. And it's like, no, 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 no. Like that happened to me. I acknowledge it. I've worked 
through it, but like I want to free myself from that so that I can go on and do whatever else I'm meant to do while I'm here having this human experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a great question and a great summary. It's still hard. I mean, even me sitting here as I'm telling it, I'm like, who's judging me? Who's judging me? Like, this is scary. Uh-huh. I It's still terrifying to tell. And I, I still am scared to tell people that I have bipolar disorder. I, it basically, like the timeline, and this is kind of how I think of it, is like two years post the divorce and the trauma, I just spent trying to survive. Just trying yeah. to survive like Uh waking up every day and trying to make sure I'm alive by the end of the day. And then lots of therapy, taking my medication every day, making sure I'm being active and um, watching how much alcohol I have, although I didn't do that well for a few years. And, And then the following two years, starting to come out of that and realize like how worthy I am of like being here and not grasping it yet, but like understanding the idea of it and like that I have something to offer and that like I've overcome so much, but still living in that shame. And then honestly, starting the podcast has been huge, huge. I mean, it's been, I'm still in, actually I'm taking a break from therapy. That's a longer story, (laughs) (laughs) but starting the podcast has been so therapeutic and allowed me to like, I'm so open with our audience of every date I go on, what I experience with the vulnerability and the pain when I get ghosted or broken up with, or the, I'm a little anxious avoidant because of everything. And so when someone really likes me, I like run away. And when I like them, like I'm anxious and I'm just sharing that and being open and crying while I tell my story. And it's, it's, I finally, like I'm at this place and kind of just to bring it full circle of where I was just saying is like, I'm no longer stifling myself. I have to choose not to do that because this is scary. Talking with you is scary, but I know that not sharing that is, is just the shame is going to stay in me and the fear And I can't stifle myself anymore. I have to be able to blossom. And I can't do that if I'm living in shame. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Something that I've learned, especially over the last year, is a lot of times when we have those feelings, like it's, it's like we're in our ego, right? Because we're not thinking like from, we're not coming from a place of like our heart or whatnot. We're just thinking from our place of, our, our ego and when we can kind of let that go and just speak like what's on our heart, like what's pinging on our heart and we can share our truth, like how beautiful that is. Because I don't know anybody who would listen to you speak. I mean, the emotion, like I'm sitting here with tears streaming down my face and like, I, I've only met you one time in person, but like, I feel super connected to you and what you went through. And I hold space for that because you sharing is so beautiful. And the fact that you're here today Like your purpose is to share your voice, to help somebody else who's going through that right now, to help somebody else who's in a relationship that's not serving them, they can't get out of, and they don't know how to do it. And it's like, no, you can choose yourself, you can love yourself. Or it's somebody who is recently diagnosed with bipolar and they feel lost, like they don't have a community to connect with and nobody understands them. 
And just that initial panic of, oh my gosh, because as human beings, we want belonging. We want to feel like we're, we have people on our side. And a lot of your journey sounds like it's been a bit lonely because you haven't had that continual support. I mean, that word abandonment came up a lot. But the beautiful thing now is you have created this tribe of people that I like to think I'm part of because you've just cultivated this safe space for us to talk about things and share our own stories and not have any judgment or anything attached to it. It's just a way to support each other and to hear each other out and to know that it's okay. And I think we so don't normalize talking about the difficult situations, right? Because it makes it makes people feel uncomfortable sometimes, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's like, we should be normalizing this because if we did think about what's going on in the world today and like these big issues stem from whatever is happening inside of people, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it's, it's a projection mm-hmm. of that. And if we could all just focus inward and heal ourselves, oh my gosh. It would be incredible, right? It would be incredible. But I adore you. And I'm proud of you. I am so proud of you. And you just keep shining because you're just amazing. Oh, my goodness. That was so beautiful. Thank you, Erin. I don't know. I'm just a sobby mess. But I do. I'm so grateful because I do believe in the universe and I believe in divine connection. And I believe there's a reason you sat next to me at that that dinner. Because can you imagine, like, I'll put it in my terms, I can't imagine not having this conversation with you. You know what Mm. I mean? Because I wasn't connected with you. And I can't imagine not being able to share your voice with my audience because it's hugely helpful. So anyways, I'm going to pull it together. Um, (laughs) I'm going to pull it together. Pull it together. Oh my God. We got to bring out your other side. We got to bring out your funny side. I mean, tell me a joke, girlfriend. I know everybody's like, she's funny. She likes laughing. <laughs> I'm like the same way though. Sometimes I can, I can get real deep. And then the next thing you know, I'm like snorting up a storm. So <laughs> anyway, so thank you. Thank, thank you, you for giving me the space to share. I really appreciate it. You're very like, I feel like you really held my heart and I feel seen by you. So thank you. Mm-hmm. Okay. okay I'm gonna <laughs> pull it together. I'm going to pull it together. <laughs> Okay. (laughs) I'm going to cast some questions Leanna's way, and she's going to rummage through her tackle box for the answers. Hook us up with your best relationship advice. I think my best relationship advice, and this is just, obviously I'm not in a relationship right now, and so this is me just pulling everything that I've learned and things that I've learned to do better in other relationships, but be assertive in asking for your needs and setting boundaries. And then on top of that, like be an active listener to your partner so that you can also respect their needs and boundaries. What's the cringiest pickup line someone's used on you? So I can't remember like any cool, like corny pickup lines, like in person, but I get a lot of like odd DMs. I'm sure you do too. And one of them was like, you remind me of my high school teacher and you're like a really hot milk. And I promise you I'll fuck your brains out. (laughs) Forward much. Okay. Mrs. Robinson. (laughs) 
What's something that you're going to let go of that might be holding you back from claiming what you want? I mean, to piggyback on our episode, letting go of shame, right? Of Mm -hmm. just allowing me to tell my story and to be vulnerable. But I also need to work on letting go of chasing because I tend to, part of my marriage was chasing the marriage. And I learned that I needed to chase someone to be loved. And, and then chasing in my career and all of that. And I think allowing myself the space to, to be found. <laughs> to someone come to me and be like, I really like you or I want to work with you. And to just have faith that it's going to happen. Thank you so much for joining Leanna and me for this vulnerable conversation. I'm so grateful she's with us. She's an inspiration to me and so many. Maybe she's an inspiration to you now too. And I admire her bravery as she claims her story, like she so beautifully did with us today. Here are a few of my key takeaways from the episode. One, if you're in an unhealthy relationship or feeling pressured to stay by a religious institution or otherwise, seek help. There are resources out there who can assist. Your safety and well-being is the most important thing. Two, it takes courage and bravery to claim our stories. Claiming our truth in the events we've endured in the past doesn't mean they define who we are today. Three, therapy is everything. (laughs) You heard Leanna say her therapist saved her life. I'm a big proponent for therapy too, and I wish I had done it after my divorce. Whatever is holding you back from picking up that phone and connecting with the therapist, overcome it. It will change your life. Or perhaps, like Leanna, it will save your life. Four, we all need to heal ourselves. As humans, we all endure trauma. It's important that we take the time to heal our wounds. Hurt people hurt people, and we see that every day in the world we live in. If we truly want to change the world, it does start with us, and healing ourselves first. Lastly, if you're struggling in this moment with thoughts of suicide, seek help. The phone number for the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline is 1-800-273-8255. Next week, Sloan from Season 1 will be back, and then we'll have two final weeks of Season 3, the I Claim series, the last episode dropping on the 29th of March. I literally can feel a little tear dropping from my eye right now. (laughs) So sad this is coming to an end. But you guys, I want to leave you with this because this is insane when you really start to think about it and unpack it. The chance of you being conceived to become who you are, bear with me, that's one particular egg connecting with a single sperm, is one in four quadrillion. Quadrillion. So the odds of your lineage remaining unbroken long enough to create you are something like a 10 with 45,000 zeros after it. Now we all know I'm terrible at math, but not this math. That's proof enough for me to recognize that you are special, that you're meant to be her, that the world needs you, that I need you, and you, my friend, are loved. It starts with recognizing that, which is why I've chosen to end every episode of this season with the following. And I mean it, I had to learn it for myself. Ladies, I said it once and I'll say it again. Before we can reel in the catch of a lifetime, we must first bait the hook with self-love.